This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Maybe you've never considered a career internationally or are unsure how to secure a job. Today, we will talk about what it is like working for the U.S. Embassy in another country. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together, we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working in jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. It's a great honor to take a job working for the U.S. Embassy. You represent and serve your country by giving your skills, time, and expertise. However, working in some parts of the world may also present challenges such as language barriers, challenging work miles from home, sometimes even in conflict-ridden areas. Today, we'll have the opportunity of talking with Marie Lewis, a BYU nursing alumna who has worked in lots of U.S. embassies all over the world. Let's get started. Our next guest is Marie Lewis. Marie Lewis is a BYU nursing alumni who has had lots of experience working in lots of different fields, including uh, school districts and the State Department and everything in between. So Marie, welcome to our show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, Marie, I wanted to start off with the bat real quick and, and have you backtrack a little bit to your time in the BYU College of Nursing. It's my understanding that, it's my understanding that you're an alumni from the BYU College of Nursing. I'm, I'm wondering if you had like a favorite clinical or, or favorite memory from your time here at the college. I loved the OB experience. I loved the oncology, um, well, med surge. It was mainly med surge. Um, I loved everything about it. Loved the clinicals. When did you decide that you wanted to become a nurse? Was it while you were in college or like pretty much a lifelong dream or, or how did you get into that the idea of getting into that field? That's a really good question. And it's a hard question when you're going in as a freshman at BYU and have no idea what you really want to do or be in life. I always wanted to be a nurse. I think when I was a little girl, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. I really didn't know. I prayed a lot about it. And I remember just stirring something over, stirring something in the, um, for dinner and the thought just popped in my head to be a nurse huh. and at that point it was very very much that that's what i was going to do and i was very grateful to finally have that answer it's so difficult to figure that out wow just over dinner came to, came to you just like that <laughs> it just came to me i had a friend in the nursing studying to be in the nursing program she was one of my roommates and i really liked what she was doing and i remembered what i um, I used to have this little book called Nancy Plays Nurse when I was a little girl, and it just brought back a lot of memories. And, and of course, the an anatomy class at BYU was life-changing, and there was no doubt I was never going back after that. That was, that was definitely the game-changer there. Wow. Well, that's cool. I appreciate you sharing that. A little more personal, but really appreciate it. I do want to pivot a little bit. So um, you, know, you started off, you were doing some oncology stuff right when you graduated, and uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile, you did start working with the State Department. That's not something we see a lot of nurses uh, being involved with. How, how, did you end up, how did you wind up working for the State Department as a nurse? Well, first we went to Hawaii, where my husband got his PhD in um, political science and Asian studies. He thought we thought we'd live in a nice little town. I thought we would, because that's how I grew up. I got a bonus to join up with the hospital there. 
and he took the foreign service exam and that's what how we got into the state department so that changed our lives he finished his phd we um moved to the philippines wow <laughs> actually we we I, I have to step back we went to indiana for five years because there'd been a hiring freeze with the state department and then we eventually he reapplied we bought a home here in virginia and then went to the philippines as our first post wow talk about a, a pivot from hawaii to indiana to the philippines <laughs> right yeah and a pivot from what i thought was going to happen a tenured professor to a state department life of the past 20 years moving every two to three years yeah well and and i'm sure that you know, it requires a lot of flexibility and patience having to move around a whole lot. What does a nurse do? Um, and, and with the state department, I had no idea the state department even would, would hire nurses, but I mean, sure enough, you were hired from the state department to, uh, to do nursing, um, and, and practice as a nurse. What did you do for them? Well, first of all, I need to clarify, they will not hire nurses straight out unless you're going to Pakistan, um, Iraq, they will do a direct hire there. For me, um, Jason, my husband, was the direct hire, and I'm considered an eligible family member. So the government tries their best to have the trailing spouse, the eligible family member, find work at the embassy. And that's how I got into the job of being a nurse there. So you, if you were to apply, I went to the State Department website yesterday. If you were to apply, you can only be a direct hire if it's for these high-risk posts in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iraq. I see. So I just happened to be married to someone going to live the embassy life, and I was that trailing spouse, and they needed help in the health unit, and there I was. Yeah. And, and, and was that conducive for family life? It sounds like they were pretty flexible with you know trying to find you a job as you know, well as hiring your husband. Uh, what was kind of the work-life balance uh, like when working with the State Department? So that's a good question, too, because the priority was our kids. And by the time we started in the Philippines, we had four kids, and our fifth one was born there in Manila. I did not work in the Philippines. Um, we came home for a year or so, learned French, went to Morocco. Wow. I didn't go there having a job or thinking to have a job. I had my own job at home at the time. Um, but they needed help in the embassy there in Rabat, and I worked part-time, and that was when our youngest started preschool, and so it gave me a couple mornings to work at the embassy and a couple other mornings to try to learn French and Arabic, so that was challenging. Um, Rabat was, it is an embassy. The consulate was in Casablanca, so we were the full embassy there, but it was small. It's larger now. There was no regional medical officer, and that's what they call I mean, most of the embassies that are really large have a home-based regional medical officer who's a physician that oversees the whole area and is home-based there. But in Rabat, it was smaller and there was only a nurse practitioner and a couple of us nurses. I do just want to loop back to you. You talked about how you were in a specific area and there wasn't actually a uh, physician there so it was just um a couple of registered nurses you know were you guys working with state other state department employees or or what did like your typical day look like there so we were the basically the primary clinic primary care and urgent care clinic for our little embassy and at the time it was the old embassy and um 
And it was small. I found a little journal entry of trying to remember because this was a long time ago. This is back in 2007, 2008. And this just basically, I was the only nurse. I saw 10 patients that morning. Um, uh, someone came in with malaise, low-grade fever, diarrhea, was going around at the school. I did a physical assessment, strep test, taught regarding upper respiratory illness, viral gastric illness. Ears were clear. You know, you do the whole assessment. Um, I had to call the RMO in Cairo to get permission on one lady whose um, urine dipstick was showing positive for um, a urinary tract infection and um, to make sure the Bactrim, the antibiotic that we were prescribing, was the correct dose. So we have nursing protocols when there's not a nurse practitioner there or a physician that give permission for us as nurses to do basic. I mean, they always obviously know how to do assessments, but to actually prescribe medications. And we were our own little lab. We were on our and pharmacist it was it was quite a experience yeah it sounds like you kind of become almost a jack of all trades because you just have so many there's like there's fewer people that are specialists and so you just become an expert generalist is that kind of is my perception kind of accurate there you do in some ways because i had never done an outpatient clinic setting like this and you know, just basic vaccinations. We were the well woman exams, the well child checks, the, you know, it was just, it was totally different than being an inpatient hospital nurse. And so there was a bit of a learning curve. And I think that's the beauty of, I have to say, of all of this, as I look back on the past 33 years, is that your foundation was laid there in nursing school. And when you think you can't do something, trust that foundation, because you can be flexible and learn to adapt. And of course, COVID the last couple of years has only helped us all learn to roll in a way we never thought we could. Yeah. Well, glad that you're able to learn on your feet. I'm sure that was uh, super important and essential in your role there with the State Department. What about, um, it sounds like you were just mostly interacting with uh, other State Department employees um, and Americans. Did you ever work with people in the community from these other countries that you were living in, or was it mostly just those who were working at the State Department? One of my greatest joys was going on visits with the regional medical officer in Jordan. That was a much larger embassy, and it was the only air, only place when we were there in 2000. 16 to 2019 that was safe in the area to work. So the Damascus consulate had been dissolved. The Peace Corps had, had pulled out and there we were in Jordan. And we would go as and visit um, local specialists that we might need in hospitals to do a quality assessment. And is it a place we would refer our local American expats to if they really needed help or should they be medevac to London for a certain problem? So we worked a lot with being liaisons, you know, finding the liaisons that worked with us, but mainly in the hospital, in the health unit, it is only American employees. We did have an occasional guard that had anaphylactic shock. We had visa line waiters that would faint in line and we would, you know, go and respond to that. Mm -hmm. But it was the qualifications were that you had to be um, there working at the embassy. Interesting. Do you think healthcare and the culture between, you know, say Jordan, the example you're just mentioning, and, and, and America is distinct? How do you think that affects, like, the type of care that you might be giving as a nurse if you're working with one of these individuals, a visa waiter who, who collapses or a guard who goes into anaphylactic shock? Does the culture kind of make responding to those situations a little bit more tricky or uh, 
just it's very unique because you have a different um culture different religion you're that's been the greatest joy over the last 20 years is to learn the different cultures and somehow i've landed in an outpatient clinic that has is a melting pot in arlington county here for all of these cultures and yes i mean with our muslim women we have to make sure that we're in a spot where we can assess that protects their privacy and and um when we were in jordan every time i saw that guard he would bless me over and over and thank allah and (laughs) we just were wonderful rapport um and he was lucky that day to live I've never seen someone going in and blocked and shot that fast. Wow. And luckily we had the epinephrine. We got the ambulance in and he lived. I do want to ask you about your current role then. You mentioned that you work a lot with um, uninsured populations uh, here in the United States. and. I don't think we hear very much about uninsured populations, uh, especially as Medicare and Medicaid has been expa- has expanded so drastically even in the last decade. Um, it almost feels like it's a forgotten fact that there are people that are uninsured. What types of people are generally considered uninsured patients? You know, I don't have to ask. It's, it's great here. Overseas, You, if you did work on a community level, you had to know if someone was there as a refugee or as an asylum seeker here. They just said, you don't need to worry about any of that. You're not an American representing an embassy in another country. We treat everyone. So Virginia Hospital Center has an incredible foundation and anyone can come. Now, obviously they um, try to screen to make sure that it's not, this situation is not abused of people coming from other countries to have a baby there and and then going back or coming for a total knee and then going back to their country. They try to screen for that, that it's not being abused. But if the uninsured simply have to fill out an application, if they meet the criteria, they will get financial assistance for everything through in the hospital except for doctor fees in the hospital and medications, which is pretty amazing. The clinic is remarkable in that we have two days a month where we have an endocrinologist come over and give her time. We have two Every Wednesday afternoon, an orthopedist gets their time. We have OBGYN three or four days a week. Different specialties come in at different times. And we have a breast health surgeon that comes in and gets her time. And all these patients can fill in those slots and see these expert world-class physicians and get the great care. Wow. That's a special place to be a part of for sure. What, what about that environment drew you there? So first of all, it's six miles from my house. I can bike to work and back. That was the number one reason. I didn't know that it was a magnet hospital. I didn't know it was affiliated with Mayo, the Mayo Clinic. It is the only hospital in the area that has not been bought out by the larger hospitals, and it is growing. Um, What attracted me there were all of that, but also um, it was exactly very similar to what I was doing in the embassy. And I absolutely love um, the need for education. I love to educate and this population needs it so much. There are times where you recognize that maybe someone can't read or write. Um, I just had a a GDM, a gestational diabetes patient who I just couldn't understand why she couldn't know how to play with that syringe and get the correct units for the insulin. And I just couldn't figure it out. And we. Played with that insulin syringe, 
you know, trying to figure it out. And she finally just looked at me and says, you know, I can't read. And I didn't know that. <laughs> and that made things really different. Um, you know, when I'm talking about let's go in increments of five or increments of 10 to get to 12, she doesn't understand that. And then you add the point that I have a translator phone for Spanish as well. And so we have to come up with creative ideas for folks that need extra help. And, and it was really awesome to be able to show her pull to the 10 and then count one, two for 12, you know, the 11, 12. And I learned how to speak a little bit of that in Spanish and that was helpful. And I told the OBGYNs, please do not change her dose unless you need to, because she knows how to pull up to 12 to 16 to 24 units. If you change it, we're going to have to start all over. And sometimes, of course, they have to change it and we'll, and we would do that. So I love the population for one thing, because this is been what I've been exposed to the last 20 years. I can empathize. I can do basic greetings. I, I just love it. Absolutely love it. Wow. That's, that's special. That's a, that's a special opportunity and it takes a unique person to be able to not only be patient enough to get down to the patient's level and get to the point where they're, get to the point where you're understanding what they're understanding, but also to be able to just notice and to be able to recognize that perhaps what you're explaining isn't quite sinking into the patient. Is that something you've had to work on to be able to pick up on situations like that? Or is that something you've kind of been in an innate talent that you've been born with? No, it's over and over again of work. You know, when we're in the embassies, people have been medically cleared to be there. You know, if they're a diabetic, they know what's going on. They've got all their supplies. They have their physicians back here in the States. They can call for the outpatient clinic. Totally opposite situation. Um, people uninsured, which often means education is, is lower. Education level is lower. And... Um, it's just extremely fulfilling. Yeah. I think what's most fulfilling to me is that when I know um, someone coming in with a hijab, I know I'm going to close that door to give her her vaccine. I'm going to, you know, make sure there's no other guys around. And I just know the culture of different people who come in. And it just really is exciting because it's just second nature to me now after our time overseas. Now, the theme at the BYU College of Nursing is learning the healer's art, you know, reflecting the savior and his role in not only physically healing people, but emotionally healing people by um, noticing them and taking time to really get to know someone on an individual level. Do you think that culture and those kind of practices that you were exposed to here at the college of nursing, do you think those kind of have carried over into your current role now um, with the Virginia hospital center? There's no doubt about it. You know, what you learn at, especially at BYU, gives you perspective from a, in all areas of life. I mean, we've had people who've had miscarriages. We had a fetal demise at 24 weeks. We've had a lot of, you know, college kids come in during COVID that are depressed and don't know what they're doing and what they should do. And I think that combination of the healer's art, also being a mother of five kids and seeing how COVID affected my my kids um and just having birthed five children and can't imagine having a fetal demise there's no doubt about it and the healer's art is definitely it's just natural it just comes to me it's it's really um important to take time to do that healer's art 
It's more than just crossing off the checklist. As we're wrapping up here, one of the other questions I want to ask you, I mean, very clearly from our conversation, from looking at uh, your your bio and things that you've done, you've had a lot of different experience and you've been in a lot of different contexts. And as we talked about today, you're kind of a, ma- you're a master generalist. You're really good at um, a lot of different things. If, if a nursing student's listening to this podcast, you know, what types of advice would you give them in terms of trying to find an occupation that they'll find fulfilling? That's, that's a really hard, that's a really hard thing for everyone. So what would you say to help someone out like that? I think it's really important to start in a medical surgical unit, kind of get your feet grounded there. Um, my advice for new grads is just to dive in, be confident in what you've been taught in nursing school. I didn't plan to be an oncology nurse. It just kind of ended up that way. They needed me up there and I loved the people I was working with and fell in love with the patients. I went on to take the certified hospice and palliative nurse certification exam. I'm working on the ambulatory care exam now to get certified. Um, Right now, new grads, they can call the shots. We're about a million nurses short from what I understand in the country and feel free to negotiate your pay, ask questions. Um, Our hospital is doing a residency program for new grads where they kind of, I don't wanna say hold your hand, but they teach you for three or four months with a mentor to do it the VHC way. I know other, I've worked with the SAM program now at BYU and they said there's something called the apprentice program there that new grads do to work their way in to transition into being a full-time RN and just believe in yourself and believe in the incredible education you have. You have simulators now. I mean, everything has changed because of technology. BYU is state of the art. It's incredible to get this alumni magazine and see the changes and the opportunities. Well, I'm glad that you, uh, um, you're staying up to speed with the culture at the College of Nursing. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to pick your brain. You mentioned the SAM program briefly. For a lot of our, that's a newer program at the uh, college recently started. It's a way of trying to foster mentorship relationships between students and alumni. Um, and it's my understanding that you're currently a alumni and you've been assigned a student to mentor. I'm wondering a little bit, we might not actually put this on the air, so f- please feel free to be candid. Um, how, how is that going? It's really good. I had a good visit with my um, mentee, and she's going to be, um, she speaks a little bit of a different language, saying apprenticeship or used to residency here. Um, back when I was coming, graduating from BYU nursing school, you were thrown into being a full-time RN. There was none of this bridging gap with the residency or apprenticeship program. So I think it's wonderful that they have that opportunity. Having said that, the change for me is that they haven't been an aide, an LPN. I mean, they've done some things, but for me, it was a matter of getting through school. And they did this, um, they did a survey at our hospital and most of the new grads have never been an aide. They never had to give bed baths and do these type of things that was just second nature to us when we graduated from nursing school. So that's different. And um, so I think that's why they have the residents. It, it was it's just different because when I graduated, the nurses did everything. Yeah. So it, um, I'm really enjoying hearing what the new jargon is, this apprenticeship, the residency, the 
you know, what they're thinking. And travel nursing has become very big here. Um, we've had a real problem with COVID that more people are going to travel nursing. Years ago, travel nursing meant you changed your life and moved around here in a big area like this. It just means you move between two or three hospitals. And we've lost a lot of nurses. And that's been the biggest problem is you are working as a nurse and the travel nurse next to you is making three or four times what you make. And yet you're the one orienting them and teaching them how to do everything in your facility. So there's been some compassion fatigue as well from COVID. And um, to the HC's credit, they're doing a differential now for certain um, nurses and working in high-risk areas to try to retain them and keep that culture of VHC in the community. As, at, that, that is true. No, things are definitely changing and COVID is just accelerating the rate at which um, the culture around nursing is changing. It's a very good point. But yeah, mm -hmm. well, I'm glad to hear that the SAM program is going well and that it sounds like you're finding opportunities to learn as well as I'm sure your mentee uh, is learning a lot from you, even just from this brief conversation we've had today, Maria. You can tell that you have a lot of wisdom and experience that you're a great person to learn from for sure. I appreciate that. I learn something new every single day and being exposed to all these different specialties at our clinic. I had to even look up where some of these glands for endocrine were from my old days in anatomy at BYU. I mean, it's just, it just stretches you in different specialties and I'm enjoying it. Is there anything else you think that we should talk about or you think that we should uh, share with our students? I wanted to just put a couple things out there. When we lived in Bangkok, there was not the opportunity to work at an embassy for me. So I worked with, um, became the head liaison for the Home for the Destitute there in Thailand. And we went and went on visits and taught basic wound care. There they were using gauze on wounds. And you can imagine how that is when you're trying to remove that gauze, even with water. It just opens the wound again. So I'll always be forever grateful for Telfa non-adherent pads. We taught um, at the homeless shelter of about 500 people. We also went and fed the severely malnourished cerebral palsy teens and women. There was a um, home for them. Even though I wasn't able to work at the embassy, I found ways to use my nursing skills in a way that was extremely fulfilling and blessed the community. And I hope these people and, and me, I needed that too. So. Thanks for sharing that. I think you're right. Nursing is a type of profession that even if you don't get into a stereotypical nursing job where you're just in scrubs and you're seeing patients, no matter what you end up doing in life with or without a nursing uh, certificate, you're going to be using the same skills that you developed as a nurse in other ways. So love that you, you shared that with us. Well, Marie Lewis, thank you so much once again for being on our podcast. I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to share with us these great insights. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Did you know the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University regularly posts employment notices on its LinkedIn group? To view this information, visit LinkedIn.com and search BYU Nursing Alumni and Students. On your first visit, request to join the group. Don't miss out on exclusive content available to BYU nursing students and recent graduates. Join today. Today, we have Charity with us. She is a second semester student. Charity, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. 
Charity, you're a second semester student, which is so exciting. Congratulations. So what are the differences between second semester and first semester? And what has your nursing journey looked like up to this point? Um, it's been super good. It's the workload is a lot. And I was kind of surprised by that. I think I kind of supposed that the hardest part would be getting into the program and not staying in the program. And that is not the case. <laughs> yeah. But it's been wonderful. I really love I love the people in my cohort. And I've made a lot of super good friends. First semester is pretty tough, um, but manageable. I would say Gay Ray's class is probably the hardest one. Her tests are killer. <laughs> but um, this semester, I don't know. I'm not very far in, so I'm not sure what to expect. But clinical should be starting soon, for which I'm excited. Now, nursing is not a profession that most people feel drawn to for various reasons. You know, the hours can be weird. It can be really emotionally intensive. So why did you decide to go into nursing? What drew you to this field? In high school, I worked as an oral and maxillofacial surgical assistant. And in that position, I had the opportunity to play a lot of different roles. Um, We would do consultations, follow-ups, many procedures, sterilization, medications, stuff like that. So basically, I was able to take on the role of like a scrub nurse, a tech nurse, and have a lot of exposure to patient care. Essentially, the patients were in my hands until the actual surgery, and then I would assist in that surgery. So I was there throughout the entire process, and I loved, I loved it so much. I loved the science behind it, the anatomy. And not just that, but I loved being able to be there for someone when they felt vulnerable and be able to help someone in a way that they can't help themselves necessarily. Now, the reason you are on this podcast is because you did a very interesting assignment for Dr. Valentine's intro to nursing class. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was basically just an overview, a final project to show kind of what you learned that semester. And to showcase the values that meant the most to you that you had discovered either about yourself or about nursing as a profession. And I guess I chose because I am kind of musically inclined to put those thoughts and feelings into music, because for me, that's the most meaningful way to express myself. So So has music always been a big part of your life? Has it always been something that you've been naturally inclined to do? Or is this something you've discovered along the way? Yeah, music has always been in my life. My mom says she knew I would be a singer because I spent the first six months of my life screaming. (laughs) Like she's like, you literally did not stop screaming from the time you were out of the womb till about you were like six and a half months old. So I don't know. I've always loved singing. I was the child that danced and sang around my house in my little princess dress when I was like six. So. I've always loved it. And music is a way that I feel a lot of emotion and the spirit and meaning. Can you walk us through the inspiration behind um, your song and what each verse means to you? Yeah. Um, So in this class, we talked a lot about different biases that we find in ourselves. And they had us do quite a few self-assessments in which I realized that I do unjustly judge. And as a normal person, that wouldn't be a super big problem, but in a profession like nursing, where someone's completely vulnerable and in your hands, you really have to see them as God would. And that was an impression that I continued to receive 
throughout the semester that I needed to see these patients as God's children. And so when it came time to make this final project, I really wanted to encapture all of my thoughts and feelings regarding what I had learned about myself and the profession um, in, in a way that meant something. And so the first verse is about how a nurse is exhausted and she's being treated badly by a patient. And it's easy to react, you know, when someone is being rude to you. But again, this nurse takes this moment to remember that this person is in a vulnerable time and that the Savior always responded with kindness and was never, um, never stooped to a level of rudeness just because others um, put that forth. And so it's kind of, it kind of highlights the struggle of the nursing. I guess all the verses talk about a specific struggle that nurses frequently encounter. And this one is patients that aren't nice and that you need to be nice. And I think that is super reflective of the Savior's character as well. And so I wrote that thinking that that was a perfect way to step into the Savior's shoes and to heal someone, not just physically, but emotionally. The second verse is about a lady who says she can't pay for her care, who says she's too poor and she refuses, someone who feels kind of, she feels kind of entitled to the um, service she's getting. But the nurse recognizes how this woman is spending her money in unwise ways and is being dishonest about her finances. And the nurse wonders if she should really, if this patient really deserves the care that she's giving. And then she second guesses herself and says, you know, like I shouldn't think that way because the savior, even though not everyone deserved what he gave them, most, most definitely I didn't deserve what he gave me. I should treat others and love others regardless of whether or not I think they're worthy of that. Because in the end, the Savior, the Savior's sacrifice, none of us deserve. And what he did for us was something completely out of love and not because we merited that sacrifice on, his, on our behalf. So, And then the third verse is about health equity. And that's something we focused a lot. That was a principle that really hit me in that class, that there are There are people who need more help than others, who need more love than others, and not just more, but individualized help and love. And it's hard sometimes because as a nurse, you have kind of specific things required of you, and it is easy just to see them as checkboxes and to do it and move on. But some patients do require extra love, extra time. And this verse is about being willing to give that even the cost of your energy or your lunch break or um, whatever you have to give. And I related that back to the Savior as well, that he, he doesn't just kind of say, okay, like doesn't blanket statement us and say, okay, everyone needs this or checkbox, like you got your peace, checkbox, you felt that joy. He really is an individual savior, that he cares for people on an individual basis and meets specific needs and not just as a whole. But 
as people. Thank you for sharing your testimony. This experience was obviously so um, impactful for you, but I want to get more into that. Um, so how has this writing song, writing this song um, specifically impacted you and your relationship with not only the healer's art, but with um, your Savior, Jesus Christ? I would say this song helped me realize how present the Savior is in healing. I know that I know that he loves every one of us and that he's always there for us. But while writing this song, I realized how intimately he is involved in this profession specifically, which I really appreciate. And uh, I would say my understanding of the Savior has grown a lot through this because I've been able to apply a lot of what he has done to what I want to do. And I've been able to feel, even before having, having worked as a nurse, I'm able to feel how important God's children are to him and how important I am to him. I'm grateful to, <clears throat> again, as a nurse, you have many opportunities to practice the healer's art. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. I'm super excited to be involved in that and grateful to work side by side with the Savior and helping heal his children. I, I am very grateful for the times that the Savior has healed me. And many of those experiences were brought to my remembrance as I did this. And so I, I know that he's there and I know that he wants what's best for all of his kids and that includes me as a nurse and that he he is going to help me help others charity thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and your testimony of the healers art we really appreciate it so thank you thank you thanks for having me charity gave us her song and we are going to play it for you on the podcast here's charity's song Remember how 
the healer's own art, I'll soon know. That was such a beautiful piece. I'm glad that Catherine had the opportunity to interview Charity. Yeah, it's fantastic all the amazing things that our BYU nursing students are doing to help explain and share the healer's art with other people. We were curious to hear what the healer's art meant to other nursing students, so we sent Donovan on the street to find out. We're here with Maddie. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, like you said, my name's Maddie. I am from Midland, Texas, a very, very small town, West Texas. Um, and this is my second semester in nursing school. Nice. Congrats. So just being really new into the nursing program, what does the healer's art mean to you? I've actually been lucky because um, my grandma was a professor here just a few, like 15 years ago, and my mom actually went to school here too. So they've been able to kind of teach me the healer's art throughout my life, one through their example, but also as they worked as nurses themselves. Nice. That's super awesome. Thank you so much. We're also here with Remington. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, like you said, my name is Remington Gardner, and I'm from Provo, Utah. Awesome. So what does the healer's art mean to you? The healer's art means to me finding individual specific ways to care for each of God's children and um, lifting each other up and just caring for them the best that I can. Nice. I love that gospel perspective. Thank you so much. And finally, we're here with Javi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm from Orem, Utah. I am a second semester student and yeah. That's super nice. All right, what does the healer's art mean to you? What the healer's art means to me is learning how to care for each and every God's children. And last semester, I did a painting of a butterfly starting out as a caterpillar and growing into a butterfly through those stages. And this painting just reminds me that I must be patient with my growth and will one day be, be prepared to apply all that I learned from here about the healer's art. Nice. I love that analogy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Donovan, and thank you to all our wonderful nursing students for sharing with us what the healer's art means to you. We do want to know what you all think about the healer's art, so go over to our Instagram account, at the college handoff, to share with us. In a sentence or paragraph, tell us, and you could win a college t-shirt. That's right. Well, that's all we have for you today. Tune in next Tuesday for another episode. Until then, see you next week.